Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to find meaning and mission in following Jesus. God designed us to thrive in the context of community, and we would love to have you join us for a weekend service soon here in Vancouver. Today's message is from our current sermon series, Joshua, God Before Us. In this study, we will learn some helpful truths from God fulfilling His promise to the children of Israel, and how through following Jesus, we too can experience a life of promise and blessing. Today we're going to begin in Joshua chapter 1, and, and to be honest with you, the book begins on a bit of a sad note. It begins on, a, on sort of a, a downer, you know? And uh, you can kind of hear the trumpets in the background, like wah, 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 as you read verse number one. And let's go ahead and get started with it. And you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about here in just a moment. So Joshua chapter one, and I'll read verses one through two to begin. It says, now after the death of who? Moses. Now Moses, you see that name and you immediately think of, okay, there's a lot attached to this name. This is a big deal. So after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun. It does not mean he did not have parents, all right? That's just his name. His name was Nun. So he spoke to Joshua, Moses' minister. Now, it tells us something about who he was. He was someone who served with and beside Moses. This is what the Lord said in verse number two. So this is God speaking directly to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. And Joshua said, I know, I was there. (laughs) He's dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Now we know that Moses had died, he had passed away, and, and what we understand from Scripture, there had been 30 days of mourning. That was the tradition that for 30 days, the entire nation of Israel mourned the passing of the greatest leader that Israel had ever known. You have to think about Moses for a moment, and you think about his life. We won't go back and rehash everything, but this was the one that God had given the ability to strengthen Israel to lead out of slavery out of Egypt. This was, I mean, this was the leader. This was the guy who uh, had lived through and had been a part of the plagues. This was the guy who had experienced the presence of God in the burning bush. He was the one uh, who had uh, been a part of seeing the Red Sea parted so the children of Israel could go through. He was the one who had received the Ten Commandments from God himself. He was the one who had been in the very presence of God and did not die. Think about that. This is Moses. This is the one who had led uh, the children of Israel in such an incredible way, but yet we know at the end of his life, he himself even fell into disobedience to God. And so as a result, God said, you will not see that promised land that I've given to you. But now he's dead. And for the children of Israel, it was the end of an era. The legacy of Moses, the leader, was now gone. And we see here the passing of the mantle of leadership over to Joshua. Within the camp of Israel, there certainly would have been an attitude of sorrow. There has to be. To lose that kind of a a figurehead. There would have to be sorrow. What was going to happen? How would they continue on? But after that time of mourning, we see God come alongside and God speaks to them and his instructions to them are very clear. Notice how God just puts it. It says, Moses is dead. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Now, therefore, he says, arise. Now, he's speaking to Joshua and to the country, uh, the nation of Israel. He says, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. See, in life, there's always a time for mourning. But one of the best antidotes to mourning is to simply return to your calling, to get back to the thing that you are called to do. 
Oftentimes in life we go through difficulties and we struggle. And yes, there is a time to mourn and a time to uh, put aside for that. Scripture tells us there's times for uh, mourning and dancing and for joy and sorrow. Uh, But eventually we need to get back to the calling that God has given to us. And that's what we see here. He says, hey, Moses is dead. You've had your time of mourning. Now let's get back to what I've called you to do. I want you to get up and I want you to get going. Somebody said it this way. God buries his workmen, but his work always will go on. And so Moses, it was not the end of of everything. Uh, There's still much to be done. And so Joshua, who was born a slave in Egypt, who was a servant to Moses, he was a spy at one time. Uh, He was someone who ministered to the people. He was a military leader. Now he's given the leadership of the nation of Israel and an overwhelming experience it would have been. From what we know in the other parts of the Old Testament, if you add up, they list for us in Chronicles, that book that's so hard to read through. We understand that at this point, there was over 601,000 men in Israel at this time. And so if you consider women and children and those under the age of, uh, well, that's children, right? Under the age of 12. And children, you, you add all those up, they estimate that there's about 2 million, oh, a little over 2 million people, possibly as many as 2.5 million Israelites in the, in the wilderness there, in the desert, that are prepared to move into the promised land. Now just think about that for a minute. Some of you get nervous if, if, if I asked you to hold my son's hand and to walk him across the street, you know? <laughs> imagine, uh, imagine this guy faced with two million people, not always known for their loving and kind attitudes, right? And leading two million people into a place that was full of uh, giants and full of, uh, uh, full of difficulty and, and struggles. And this is what he was faced with. And so it would have been overwhelming to him, I believe. And so that's why for the rest of the chapter, God takes the time to simply encourage him with the task that is ahead of him. And so we're going to see here a pattern in this passage of God encouraging Joshua, Joshua encouraging the people, and then the people encouraging Joshua. We kind of get this little, little flow going on here, which I think is so great. And for us as a church, I think we'll learn some lessons out of it as well. So let's go ahead and get into point number one this morning, and that is God's challenge to Joshua. God's challenge to Joshua. He, he challenges him here in verse, Joshua, I'm speaking it to you. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even into the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and under the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your coast. God here begins the challenge to Joshua, and he encourages him to rise up and to move forward into the promised land. The thing that to me is so unmistakable here is the tone of encouragement that we see as God reiterates his promise to Joshua. Notice here how he gives him a reminder of the territory that they were to possess. I have a map here of the original territory that God had uh, promised to them. In fact, it actually extends a little bit outside of this area, but this was the very specific land that God had promised to the children of Israel back in Genesis chapter, well, starting in Genesis chapter 12 when he told Abram, I want you to get up. I want you to go to a country that I'll show you. It's the country that he promised to to Jacob in Genesis 28 and then again uh, to Isaac in Genesis 26 and again to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And now he reminds Joshua of the fact that I've given you a land I've promised it to you. I have not forgotten. And uh, I want you to follow. And God says here that he's going to follow through with what he has said. Now, I want you to notice that God did not give him an explanation, though. Did you see that? He says, I want you to get up. I want you to go to the land. I'm going to give you the land. But he didn't tell him how he was going to do it. He simply gave him the promise. Now, there's a great principle here for us because honestly, that's how God operates with his people. 
God gives us promises, not explanations always. Have you noticed that? God says, I'm going to provide for you, but he doesn't tell us how. Now, I'm like, all right, Lord, I need a three-point outline. How are you going to provide for me this week, right? Lord, I need to know about, you know, the next 20 years of my life. If you could just go ahead and just jot it down and send it to me in an email. So I got it. So I'll even print it out and frame it. This is exactly what I'm supposed to do. But God says, no, I promise you, I'm just going to, I'm going to take care of you. Here's part of my will. I want you to follow it. And I'm going to, I'm going to be there for you. See, God's people thrive on promises and not on explanations. And that's what we see here. He gives him the promise that he'd given to him. And so uh, it was a reminder to Joshua. He encourages him. He says, I'm going to give you this promise. He reminds him again. But then we see him give Joshua then a personal promise. Look at verse number uh, five and verse number six. This is so cool. He says, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. This is what God is saying here to Joshua. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. What a promise to Joshua. Not only does he promise him this military victory in the land that God had given to them, but he also is giving to Joshua a renewed promise of his presence. He says to him, just like I was with Moses, I am going to go along with you. What a powerful thought. What an amazing thing for Joshua. As he's faced with the overwhelming idea of taking two million people into this land that had been promised to them, God says, just like I was with Moses, I am going to be with you. Now, it's interesting. This promise of, of, of his presence was one that God had given to all of the patriarchs before. He'd given it to Jacob. Uh, Moses had uh, told Joshua about this once before, and God then is giving it now specifically to Joshua. It's something that we see all throughout Scripture where people pass on and encourage one another in the promise that God is going to be there with you. And for us as, as New Testament believers today, here's one of the great things about the Bible, is that God, that promise of God's presence continues on even today. You got to think about it. In the book of Matthew, right in chapter number one of Matthew, God tells us that he is Emmanuel, right? He's God with us. I just pointed at Emmanuel. That's why you're wondering. <laughs> you're like, who's he pointing at? It's Emmanuel. That means God with us. And, and God said that in, 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 in Matthew chapter number one, he says, I am going to be with you. And then Matthew closes with Jesus saying, lo, I'm with you all way, even into the end of the world. And so the promise of God's presence is something that uh, goes with us even to this day. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 5, uh, it, it's quoting Joshua 1.5. It says, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So what does this mean for us today? It means that God's people can move forward with confidence. God's people can move forward and be assured of God's presence. If you remember in Romans, it tells us, if God be for us, who shall be against us? And so before Joshua and before uh, Israel even begin their conquest, the Lord comes to them and he says, I am going to be with you. Now you say, why is this important? Who cares? Why is it important that God is with them? Here's why. Because God's presence always gives us power. It is God's presence that gives us power. I'm not talking about like Herculean strength and be able to like, you know, bench press 425 pounds or anything like that. You understand what I'm saying. It gives you confidence, right? God's presence gives us confidence today. See, money is great, isn't it? Okay, all right, that's okay. You guys are in church, I get it. No, money's terrible. No, money is great. Man, money is great. Money is great. Influence is a blessing, isn't it? Man, a big following on social media is kind of cool. But listen, it's the presence of God that's going to give you confidence in life, okay? It's not going to be those things. If you put your confidence in money, 
if you put your confidence in other people, if you put your confidence in your social media to validate who you are and what you do in life, it will fail you. But if you put your confidence in the fact that God is with you, that as a Christian, he promises to never leave us nor forsake us, that he walks with us through the valleys. As we saw last week, how he's there when it feels like we're drowning, when it feels like we're on fire, God is there with us. If you put your confidence in that, that is what gives you strength. That is what gives you power to continue on. It is the presence of God because when he is with us, we can face anything you remember the old song that we sing here sometimes because he lives what I can face tomorrow and that's talking about the presence of God because he lives all fear is gone why is that because I know I know I know he holds the future and as the song says and life is worth the living just because he lives because God lives he is with us he's for us and that gives us confidence this is why God says to Joshua I want you to be strong and I want you to be courageous not because Joshua was strong and courageous the reason he tells him I want you to be strong and I want you to have courage is because I am with you is what he's saying. My presence is there. I'm going to be alongside of you and Israel had everything they needed to possess that land without fear. In Hebrews 13, 6, I mentioned for, uh, verse 5 earlier, 6 tells us so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me because God is with us. H here's the truth, church. God has given us those same promises of provision that he's giving here to Joshua today. Those promises of never failing us and uh, his purpose for giving us those promises is that we would face life then with courage, that we would live life by faith, experiencing the abundant life. That can be found in trusting and pursuing God Almighty himself. And so God says to him, I want you to know that uh, I, I, am, I, am, I am with you, I'm for you, therefore I want you to take that next step into the unknown if you want to call it that that next step into the promised land Charles Spurgeon put it this way and I thought this was a great thought on this on this passage here's here's what he said now, now here's the context of, of his of his uh of his of his quote because before I want you to notice in the passage before God could fulfill his promise Joshua had to actually exercise his faith and be strong of a good courage okay Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, Joshua was not to use the promise as a couch upon which his indolence, which means laziness, in case you're wondering, okay? <laughs> he says, the promise of God was not to be a couch in which his laziness might luxuriate. He's, he's a very well-spoken guy. Okay? I can't pull that kind of stuff off. He says, so it shouldn't be like a couch where you just sort of rest on it, but it needs to be as a girdle, and this is a scriptural principle, wherewith to gird up his loins, for future activity. Now, you guys understand the idea of girding up your loins? That was when they would all wear robes and they would take their robes and they would pull it up and they would tuck it into the sort of a big, thick leather girdle, a belt that would be around them. And whenever you saw somebody like pulling up his robe and tucking it into his belt, you're like, something's gonna happen, <laughs> okay? It was, it was a preparation. He's gotta run, he's gotta work, he's gotta do something. And so he's saying, what he's trying to say is that the promises of God is not a reason for us just to sit back and be like, well, you know, all right, God promises, so I'm just not even gonna... I don't, need, I don't need to do anything at all. See, this is where we deal with the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man right here, okay? God's promises are, are to us and they are for us, but his promises are not a couch for us to sit back and be like, well, it's what it is. It's to be a prod. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not, somebody said it this way, it's, not a, it's to be a prod, not a pillow. 
It's the promise we say, all right, this is the promise. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go and I'm going to be encouraged and follow God and serve him in a confident way. And so uh, God encourages him in this way. But then in verse number seven, he continues, only be thou strong and very courageous. You see a pattern here? <laughs> There's a pattern. You'll notice it. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it from the, uh, to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Then verse number eight, he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Here's the great thing. God encourages him to be strong and to be courageous, but then he also enables him to be strong and courageous. And here's how, through his presence and through his word. He encourages him, says, you be strong, you be courageous. Here's why, because I'm here with you and because you have the word of God. See, for us today, we may find strength in relationships. We may find courage uh, in our talents or in our wisdom or in our bank accounts, but eventually that is also going to run out. And what you're gonna need in those moments is simply the word of God to continue on. Now, we know that Joshua did not have the Bible like I'm holding today. We know that. That's why it says there that he is to, uh, the book of the law is what is given to him. Now, the book of the law is what Moses had written down that God had given to him. As well, Moses had written down meticulously the stories of how God had been there for them, how God had provided for Israel. And it was a record of God's care for Israel. And so what God is trying to say is that all you need is my law, all you need is my instructional manual, and all you need is stories of the past to encourage you and to remind you of the fact that I am going to be with you. See, for us today, Christian, the word of God is all we need to have strength in adversity, okay? The word of God is all you need to have help in those dark and difficult times because the word of God is what can encourage us, right? It can challenge us. It can point out to us who we truly are. It can sustain us in the darkest of times, but we've got to be like God encouraged Joshua, which is to read it, to meditate upon it, to hide it in your heart as we see in other scriptures. And then we need to observe what it says and then we need to do it. And notice how it says there in the verse, and then thou shalt have good success. You'll make their way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. That's not talking about great, my business is gonna su succeed and everything's gonna go well. Interesting enough, this is the only, where, only place that the word success is found in all of the Bible. And it's talking about the idea of that when we pursue God, when we know his word, when we follow what he's given to us, we will have wisdom to face what life throws our way. Now, I don't know about you, but I want that more than anything else. <laughs> I want wisdom to know what to do when uh, my child is having an issue. <laughs> Happens every once in a while. I, I want wisdom when uh, a relationship is broken. I want wisdom to know how to, uh, to, how to forgive in difficult circumstances. I want to have that wisdom from God. And he says the way to do it is to pursue the law of God, to look at it, to understand it, and then to do it. In Luke chapter four and verse four, it tells us, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You got to have the word of God as part of your life. In a James 1.22, we just covered this in our study of James, uh, but be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Don't be the kind of person to be like, yeah, yeah, I got it, and then never do anything about it. Be a follow, uh, follow through. And so God says you need to have the word, Joshua, and the way uh, that you can be encouraged and be challenged and have courage uh, is simply through knowing the law of God. And the same is true for us today. Having the word of God can encourage us, but you've got to get in the book. You know what that means, right? You got to read it. You got to read it. You have to know what it says. It's not enough for you to, you know, look at somebody's post on Facebook, be like, all right, I got my Bible for the day. 
right? Like, wow, man, it's so epic. Some sad story, a puppy, and then a Bible verse, you know? Okay, listen, it's a little more than that. You gotta, you gotta know it. You know what it means to meditate on the word, right? It's the old idea of a cow that has two stomachs. Or how many stomachs do they have? Four, sorry, my bad. So a cow has four stomachs, right? Or my, I don't know, figure, figure it out later, Google it. More than one. They have more than one stomach. There we go, we'll just cover it. And so what they do is gross, but they, they, they eat their food, they chew it up, it goes into one stomach, and then they pull it back up, they chew it on again, called the cud, right? Then they swallow it back down again. This is basic high school, maybe elementary school, and they pull it back up and they chew it. Okay, so that's what it means to meditate on the word of God. It is to read something to kind of chew on a little bit, internalize it, and you bring it up back later to meditate on it. Like, oh, okay, okay, I get it. I'm gonna put it back away for some time later. <laughs> and I'm going to pull it up again when I need it. And it's interesting how that happens throughout life. As you, as you memorize the word of God, God will bring back that scripture. He'll bring back that thought to you in times of great difficulty. And you're like, where did that come from? Oh, wait, it's God encouraging me from that meditation on his word. It's not crossing your legs and lotus and hmm, like, like it's knowing what the word of God says. It's knowing it and understanding it. And so, so that's what he's saying here uh, is he says, Joshua, I want you to meditate on the word. And then in verse number nine, again, we see it again. Look what he says. Have not I commanded thee. He, he, this is literally a paragraph later. He says, didn't I tell you? <laughs> Be strong and of a good courage. God knows our heart. I don't know if Joshua heard it. And then he was like, you know, I just told you, man. Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? For the Lord that God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. What a great thought that God is with him. And he says, Joshua, I am going to be with you. I have your, pre uh, my, my, my presence is going to go with you. And so when you go into that promised land and there's enemies and there's difficulty on every side, I am there. And for you today, whatever you face in life, God is going to go with you. Whether it's the loss of a job or a financial difficulty, depression, despair, an unknown future, just dark times. Listen, God is with you. And if you turn to him and to, turn to his word, you'll find that courage and help that you need to face whatever it is that you're facing in life today. And so God gives Joshua a challenge in a very, very long point number one today. And I promise it won't be that much longer uh, after that. So look at secondly in the passage, we see Joshua now challenge the people. So God brings a great challenge here to Joshua, and now Joshua challenges the people. Look at verse number 10 and verse number 11. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals. That's like food, okay, just so in case you're wondering. For within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. I want you to notice he says, Prepare within three days. We're going to go over the Jordan. We're going to possess the land. Then verse number 12. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to uh, half the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua saying, remember the word. So he's speaking here to three tribes. He says, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Verse 14, your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. Until the Lord have given your brethren rest. I want you to take note of that word rest a couple of times there in uh, verse 13 and then in verse 14. Uh, uh, sorry, in verse 15. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side, Jordan, toward the sun rising. The nation here was so organized that very quickly Joshua was able to give instructions to the entire group of people. 
And there was no debate about it at all. Joshua took the plan that God had given to him and he immediately began to tell the people exactly what was going to happen. And I want you to notice how he, relayed, uh, how he relayed to them what God had given to them. First of all, he told them, I want you to prepare food. And in three days, we're going to cross over this Jordan. Get food prepared and get it ready. This isn't like have a big dinner, but put stuff away because we're going to be leaving in three days' time, and we're going to cross the Jordan River. Now, if you know anything about the Jordan River at this time, it's typically flooded, and that, it's, a, it's an issue. You are not going to just walk across the Jordan River. This is a big deal. And so rather, though, of him saying, all right, prepare ye boats, he says, prepare ye food. It's interesting. He says, don't, you know, waterproof all your stuff because we're about to cross the Jordan. He didn't even, he skips right over that fact. He says, I want you to have some food ready because we're about to take a journey in other words, he's saying, I have complete confidence that God's going to take care of this. I have total confidence that the same God who parted the Red Sea was going to part the, 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 uh, the Jordan River so that we could cross over on dry ground. He trusted that God would work on their behalf again. He had faith, but he also wanted them to prepare, right? That again is the idea of God's sovereignty, his promises with our responsibility. He says, we're going to do this, but you need to prepare as well. That responsibility in conjunction with God's will. And so the challenge is to the entire nation. Get ready. We're going to go. But then he gives some specific instructions to three tribes. Did you notice that? Why just these three tribes? Why did he specifically call these ones out? Well, in Numbers chapter 32, it tells us the story of how these three tribes, the uh, uh, Reuben, Gad, and then a half tribe of Manasseh, they told, it talks about in Numbers 32, how they made a deal with, uh, with Moses. They made a deal with Moses. And here's what the deal was. And I've got, a, I got that map up here again I want to show you. So the deal was this. They said, hey, Moses, we uh, are looking forward to the promised land and all that. But uh, we kind of are okay with where we're at on the east side of the Jordan River. You see down here is the Sea of Galilee. And uh, see that? That's it, kind of that division there. Is, I know if you're not familiar with it. But that is, the, that is the Jordan River, kind of that split between those three outside colors right there. And so they said to him, we are okay with this. We're okay staying on this side. And, and so the deal was is that, okay, well, this is your inheritance then. Their inheritance of the promised land is on the east side uh, of the Jordan. The other tribes are going to be on the west side of the Jordan River, that sort of natural division. And so they had already received their inheritance. I'm assuming they had already begun to settle in that area. But the deal that Moses had made with them, he said, okay, I will give you your inheritance now in this area. That's fine. But you are to help the rest of the tribes. You're to help the rest of your people to settle the land west of the Jordan. And so what Joshua is doing here is he is reminding them of their commitment. He says, remember what you told Moses. Isn't it great sometimes to be reminded of the commitments that we make in life? Husbands, I don't want to ask this question, but I'm going to. You ever had your wife remind you of the commitment that you made to her as a husband? You. That's a fun conversation, right? You ever been reminded uh, by your spouse of a commitment to your children? Or have you ever been reminded by the Lord of a commitment that you maybe made to him in the past? Something that you said, Lord, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to follow you in this way, but you've fallen away from it. We need to be reminded of commitments that we make whether it's to God, to our families, or to our church, God has, uh, if we've committed to God, we need to be reminded about it. And that's what he's doing here. He's reminding these tribes that you promised to help the rest of your brethren until they were giving, given rest. I want to stop on this for a moment because I think there's a great scriptural principle here. 
See, these three tribes, if there was anybody who had a right, in essence, to say, hey, you know what? Man, God bless you guys. You just, you just take that Jordan and you just go right on ahead. It could have been them. You got to think about it. They've been here for a while, 40 years on this side of the Jordan. I am assuming that they had already begun to settle their area while the other tribes were still waiting. They began to settle. They began to uh, get plots of land together. They had begun to build homes. They began to plant crops. They uh, had families there. And so now Joshua comes back and says, hey, that 40 years is up. Remember, you're supposed to go and help us. They could have said, hey, man, like that was 40 years ago. Moses is dead, right? When he dies, all promises go with him, right? No, <laughs> when he dies, that's it, you know? And, and you guys, you know what? We're not gonna do that. We've already, we're established. We, we can't leave right now. And, uh, and I think they could have said that. But what I love about this is that we'll see here in just a moment, they didn't just say, no, nah, we're not gonna do it. They went ahead and they followed through. Even though they hims- themselves had found rest. And here's the scriptural principle. Some of you today uh, have been Christians for a long time. And some of you have, uh, are really secure in who God has called you and who God created you to be. And that's great. You should, I, I want everyone to fi- find that, that point in your life where you're like, I'm okay with who God made me. And I'm, I'm okay with this. And for some of you, and, and sometimes this happens as Christians get older and older, there's, an, there's a bit of an attitude or a heart that kind of comes in our lives and we're like, you know what? I, I've served God for 20 years. I've served God for 30 years. I'm going to let somebody else serve God for a while, right? I, I'm at a point where I'm just, I'm, I'm, I have rest. I have rest finally. I'm, I love coming to church, and I'm, I feel like I'm growing personally, and I have a walk with God. I have a personal walk with God, and, and I have rest, and, and I feel like I, I'm doing all right. And, and uh, I, here's what I want to tell you today. I want you to be like these other tribes for a moment, who even though they had rest, as we see in that passage, they have rest. Even though they had rest, the rest of their brothers and sisters did not have rest. They didn't have rest. And so they were willing then to say, we're going to go and we're going to go and help them until they have that rest. And what I want to encourage you with today is, listen, uh, church family, you may reach a point where you feel confident in God and you know his will for your life and you're following it. But you got to remember that there's others here in our local church who have not reached that point yet. And they need some help. They need some help. And we need to be like these three tribes who, even though they had their inheritance, even though they knew God's will for them, they were still willing to help other people come alongside. Does that make sense? That makes sense? We need to always be a church that's encouraging and building up one another, looking for ways to influence others, to encourage them in their walk with God. Because you know what? Uh, Man, I I hope, for those of you who say, yeah, that's me today, I, I know God's will, I'm very confident where I'm at, I hope that you would desire for your brothers and sisters here in church to have that same that same heart that you have. So don't ever give up on them. Does that make sense? Continue on. Continue to go and and help others reach their point of knowing God's will and being secure in what he has called them to do. And so Joshua gives this challenge to the nation. He challenges these three eastern tribes there. But then I want you to see lastly today the people's support of Joshua. The people's support of Joshua. I love this in verse 16. And they answered Joshua saying, they answered Joshua saying, All that thou commandest us, we will, what? Do. Is it not up there? Can you go ahead and hit it for me, John? Hit the space bar. It'll do the next one. There we go. All that thou commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. They say, whatever you want to do, bro, we are going to do it. According as, and this is great, verse 17. As we hearken or listen unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. And then in verse uh, number 18, we see here, 
Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment and will not hearken unto thy words and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to what? Death. Whoa. Okay, we'll talk about that. Only, they said, be strong and of a good courage. The answer of these three tribes back to Joshua to me is really nothing short of amazing. They made him a promise and they said, just like we listened to Moses, we'll listen to you. Man, that would have been comforting to Joshua. Well, great. <laughs> they're, they're actually going to listen. I'm not going to have to fight that battle of, oh, well, Moses said. No, they're going to listen to me like they listened to Moses. And as well, they said, we will not walk away from our commitments. The blessings of their inheritance had not spoiled them, and they would not back away from the promise that they had made to Moses. And then they make this commitment to Joshua that they would follow through. And not only would they follow through, but if anyone in their tribe said, I'm not going back, I'm not going to help them out, it says that they would put them to death for not following through in the commitment that they had made to their brothers and sisters. Now, that's a very strong statement today. And it's uh, obviously there's a cultural aspect to it. There's a timing aspect to it. Uh, but there's also an application for us today. You say, well, where's the application? I don't want to kill anybody. There's nobody that uh, I want to put to death uh, at all. But here, here's what I want you to see. Because when it comes to following Christ, remember, they're following Joshua. We follow Jesus. When it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to following after what he's called us to do, when we are committed to following Christ in all things, then it means that there are some things in our life that we may need to put to death that keep us from following him. There are some aspects of our life that you may need to put to death, to use the phrase here, in order to truly follow after God as he's called you to do. Like we said, these tribes could have said, we've got, we've got families and we've got fields and we've got all these things that we aren't going to leave. But they said, no, no, we're going to go and follow you. And if someone doesn't, we're going to put that person to death. And listen, Christian, in your life, there may be something that you need to put to death in order to completely and totally follow after Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about this principle before, but man, so many times in our life, we have, we have things that we put in front of us following after Jesus, Right? We say, well, man, I've got, I've got commitments or somebody wants me to make a commitment and so I cannot commit to actually being in church, right? No, we say, oh, I'm, o- I'm always tired. Oh, there's something going on. And so, uh, and so we just don't serve. That's a, that's a barrier. Sometimes we say things about our personalities. You know, I'm, I'm shy, therefore I don't think God can really use me or I don't really feel like I can ever talk to anybody and so I don't think that God can use me. Or we say things like, I've got bills, right? I've got tons of bills and so therefore I can't give to the Lord or, or, we, or we have a sin in our lives that we're unwilling to give up and we just want to hold on to that thing or there's some worldly influence in our life that has just got a stronghold in us and we just keep going back to it and going back to it and going back to it and it's keeping us from truly following after God. I want to encourage you, whatever it is that would stop you from following after God with your whole heart, you need to put that thing to death. You need to get rid of it. You need to to remove it from your life because it's a hindrance to God doing his work and it is a hindrance to you experiencing the promised land. Do you see that here in this passage? It is a hindrance to you experiencing God's revealed will for your life, for that fulfilled life that we talk about because if you say, God, I wanna follow you and you try to pursue him and you go after his will but then you keep turning to that old worldly influence and you keep going back to that thing that you were and you keep letting that distraction get in your way and you keep having excuses, listen, you gotta put it to death. You got to put it to death so that you can truly follow after God. And that's what they said. They said, listen, we're going to help you out. And if anybody tries to stop us or cause any issues, off with his head, right? I mean, that's it. We're not going to let anything distract us. And that's the principle for us as Christians. Don't, Don't be distracted. We need to put the flesh to death. 
In Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 12, it tells us, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, that's the idea of your, 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 your desires, your sinful desires that you have. He says, if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the what? What does it say? The Spirit. Man, this is where God comes in. If you through the Spirit of God do mortify, you understand the word mortify, put to death. If you do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Here's the answer to what we're talking about. You say, I can't overcome that sin. I can't overcome that influence of the world that I've got. That, uh, I just can't overcome it. You can through the Spirit of God. You can do it through the power of God. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba means like Daddy. And he says through the spirit, through that connection that we have with God, uh, we don't have a spirit of fear. We're not afraid of God, but there's that spirit of adoption. We're his children. How amazing is that, that we are the children of God and we can approach him and we can come to him and say, God, I have this sin. I have this problem in my life. I can't shake this influence. I can't shake these things. God, I'm struggling so much and I need, I need your help. He says, I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you the help that you need to overcome this so that you can follow after me and experience that promised land. We all can give countless reasons as to why we shouldn't follow God. Whatever that reason is, put it to death in your life. You say, oh, it's a, it's a relationship and I, I, I am invested in this thing, but it's keeping you from following God. Maybe you need to put it to death. Maybe it's an influence of, a, of an outside source of some in your life. Maybe it's uh, something that you listen to constantly or you're constantly uh, uh, taking in through media or whatever it may be. And you're like, this is keeping me from following God. Put it aside. Maybe it's a job. Hey, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you to quit your job, but sometimes people need to quit their jobs because it's keeping them from serving the Lord. It's keeping you from the things of God. Listen, God, you think God is just going to leave you penniless? You're like, oh, well, thanks for doing that for me. Stinks to be you, <laughs> you know. You're on your own. Of course not. God will walk through with you through that. He'll provide for you. And we've got to learn from these Israelites who are unwilling to let anything keep them from pursuing and following after God. And then at the end of it all, they say, hey, bro, be strong and be courageous. <laughs> I love that. Listen, man, we're with you. Be strong and be courageous. What a great way to start the journey into the promised land. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> man, what a great way. Some pretty awesome things that we see God doing. Joshua being encouraged by God, him encouraging the people, and then we see that great commitment from those three tribes that they're going to walk alongside those other tribes and they're going to help them out and they're going to also obey and follow the leader here that God has given to them. As we close this morning, I want you to think for a moment just uh, recognize that you and I are not Joshua here. Just so you know, okay? I don't want there to ever be a misconception that, you know, Pastor Paul views himself as Joshua. Therefore, we should <laughs> do and say all that he has said, you know, or anything like that. That's not, that's not, the, that's not the parallel here. Remember, Joshua is a picture of Jesus Christ, right? It's a picture of Jesus Christ. And so you and I are not Joshua. And so as we study the passage, we cannot put ourselves in his shoes, we have to remember it is Jesus who is the one who works on our behalf as we heard about in the scripture reading this morning. It is Jesus who rescues us. He is the one who, through the, who knows the mind of the heavenly father and through, it is through the teaching of Jesus Christ that we stand in a similar position to Israel, dependent on God's word to lead us and called to a life of faith and obedience. So that's the picture that we see here. That as Christians today, we are in a similar picture as Israel because we're dependent on the word of God and because God has called us to a life 
of faith and obedience. And the thing that strikes me about this chapter is the divine urgency of it all. Have you noticed that? The day had been a long time coming for them, 40 years, 40 years. But now that it is here, there's no room for delay, (laughs) no room for delay. And in that, we see an inherent issue that many of us deal with as Christians, is that often we fail to act as we should because we do not believe sufficiently enough to launch out by faith in simply the bare word of a promised God. (laughs) And so we wait. And, and, And even though the word can be certain and even though the word is secure, we wait and, and we, we put it off. But the truth is, is that all you need for your heart to harden against God is for you to simply do nothing when he speaks to you. When he speaks to you, to do absolutely nothing. All progress that you might have in the life of discipleship moving forward begins by God speaking to us through the word, through preaching, And then the Spirit of God applying that to our lives so that we cannot escape its demand. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to read the Word and to hear the Word and be like, whoa. And God just show you specifically what that is. The problem is we often wait. What we learn from this passage is that when it's time to move, (laughs) when it's time to go, when God speaks, don't delay. He says, let's get up and let's roll. It's time. It's time to move forward. See, this is the purpose of God's commission and of this passage today, that we would live a life that simply trusts him, that obeys him, and then we'll have that life that can be used for his glory as he speaks to us and we so readily respond. That's the big truth that we see out of this passage today. There's a lot of thoughts that we saw here this morning, and I want to encourage you to to contemplate this passage. I want to encourage you to go back and maybe read it this week as we move into our series. There's a lot here. I know we covered a a lot of content. But I think the application has been very clear, very clear to us today about God's encouragement in his presence, of course. We have his presence. We have his word to turn to. So avail yourself of that resource. And then when he speaks to us, let's get rid of the distractions and let's just, let's just go. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.